0: your Bibles with me if you will. Turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We are nearing the end of this letter that that James uh, wrote. And you don't have to put it on the screen, screen quite yet for me. But we're nearing the end of this letter. This letter was written by James to Christian believers scattered abroad. And he's teaching them How to live out their faith in a world that's trying to pull them away from God. And a world that's trying to pull them away from their faith in God. They were living in dark times. This letter is so encouraging to me because time and time again, the words continually seem to fit where we are in America today. So we've walked through verse by verse by verse. We're almost done. We get to chapter 4. Now, Remember, he talked about living out our faith, and faith without works is dead. He immediately talks about uh, the, our tongue and the words we say, and, and the point being that, that our tongue is betraying our faith, but we've got to get our tongue saved. It's out of control. And then he flips over and he talks about wisdom last week, and he, and he taught us that there are different types of wisdom. There's God's wisdom and then there's the world's wisdom. The problem is they're like two highways going in a similar direction but end up in very different places. They look the same. They both have concrete and stripes and road signs and trees and, and, and a boulevard in the middle. And yet the world's lit wisdom is leading us in a different direction than God's wisdom. And we can be very confused because it feels like we're being wise. And yet what we're actually doing is being wise according to the, a man's wisdom. Next thing you know, we end up where we don't want to end up. We end up in the wrong city, the wrong destination. We're paying the price for it, and we're confused. James is saying, don't be confused. Utilize God's wisdom. Now, if I were to give you today um, uh, our, our sermon in a sentence, and it's a little bit of a long sentence, but if I give you a sermon in a sentence for today... Uh, that was la- this was last week. The wrong wisdom leads to evil results, but the right wisdom produces good things. That's what James taught us. Uh, skip forward two slides for me, guys. Um, here's, here's the sermon for today. Our problems with people are often the fruit of a problem we have with God. And if we could fix the God problem, we would be in position to fix our people problems. Now, I'm going to show you this in Scripture, but here's the point. James is writing to people, and he said, the the people of God are fighting amongst themselves. And you think you need to fix the problem amongst yourselves. You do. But the problem you're having with fighting and quarreling actually starts within you. It's a God problem, not just a people problem. So until we deal with the root, we can't deal with the fruit. James chapter 4, verse 1. Are you with me this morning? Let's just read two verses. We'll pray and we'll dive right into it. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Here we go. Remember I said he wants to deal with the root. The fruit is there's quarreling, there's fighting. There's, there's I mean, there's people are fighting in the church, Christian people. And they're, they're not getting along. They're not getting along in the community. They're not getting along in church. And so there is quarreling and fighting among you. And then He's going to give us some insight. Don't they come from the evil desires within you? Okay, so now there's something going on inside that's reflecting it outside. There's something going on internally with us that is being reflected in how we're dealing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 2. You want what you don't have so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Here's what James says. He says, here's the problem, guys. Here's the problem. You're fighting, you're quarreling, there's issues, but it's an internal problem. What's the internal problem? He said, you want what you don't have. You want what they have, and and you're jealous of what they have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. Now, scheme is a very negative connotation word. It's the same word that Paul used when he said, put on the armor of God that you might withstand the schemes of the enemy, the the, the schemes of the devil. There's a scheming and conniving way. It's not that we just come right out and steal it, but we create a scheme where we end up with what we want or end up with what they had. We scheme to get it. Then he goes further, and he uses this word, kill. This is a shocking word, wouldn't you agree? These are brothers and sisters in Christ. These are are church folks. And he says, not only are you scheming, but you kill to get it. Whoa, James, that's a lot. Well, We understand when we read uh, the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talked about this same subject and he he said if you'll remember you have heard it said don't commit murder Right? You remember those statements? It's it's one of the top 10 commandments. But Jesus takes it further and he talks about a heart issue. He talks about what's already going on in your heart. It's the anger and the hatred in your heart. And so here in, in James, he does this a lot. I'm not sure there's another epistle, another letter that was written that refers to the Sermon on the Mount more than James' words. Because one more time, he pulls this same message of Jesus forward and he says, Listen, okay, you may not physically commit murder. But the anger and the hatred and the frustration in your heart is calling you to kill, causing you to kill relationships, kill credibility, uh, uh, kill, uh, kill uh, things going on in your life, kill friendships, uh, kill, kill all these things. You're, you're doing it, but it starts with the hatred and the anger in your heart. Well, where did that come from? It came from they have what you have, what you don't. You want it. You're jealous. Are you out there this morning? Strong words from, from the Apostle James here kill, kill relationships, kill influence, kill credibility why? because I'm trying to get what I want the tragic irony of the life lived after worldly and fleshly desires is that it never reaches the goal it gives everything for life lived after the flesh, it gives up everything, including eternity to chase it down. And yet it never accomplishes. It never reaches the goal that it's giving everything for. And the fundamental dissatisfaction is not because of lack of effort. So when we're chasing the flesh, man, the flesh is relentless. Remember, he talked about the tongue being relentless in its evil. It just keeps going and going and going. Our flesh just keeps pulling. And the desires within us, if there is jealousy in us, if there is a covetous, covetous Ness, I'll say that word three times fast. If there is envy, if we're coveting, these things, they pull on us. And once you get what you think you wanted, what you thought would make you happy, you recognize it won't make you happy, so you keep longing and wanting for more. And James says this is, this is a problem, you see. So what do we do? Number one, we pray. James chapter 4, verse 2. He said, you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it. But what you should do is, he said this, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. James is talking about prayer here. He's saying you ought to spend some time in prayer. Now, James has some authority on the subject. Remember I told you that James, his knees were so callous that they looked like the knees of a camel. They actually called him, Old Camel Knees. Because he spent so many hours on his knees in prayer. And so he's sitting here saying, from a place of like, I've done this, I've been here, I've been on my knees. You have not, because you ask not. We don't spend any time in prayer, and therefore we try to take it because, well, God's not giving it to us. And James is saying, wait a minute, did you ever stop and ask God? You see, even Jesus in, in, in Psalm uh, chapter two, verse seven through nine, uh, God, it's a messianic Psalm about Jesus and it's God speaking. And he even says to Jesus or the son of God, he said, I say to him, ask and I will give him anything, even the whole world. Even God said to Jesus, just ask for it. But we have to ask. Let me ask you this question. You said, well, Pastor Rand I'm praying. OK, in your praying, are you complaining or asking? Are you whining or petitioning God? Are you asking God to move? Or are you demanding something from God for you? Have we stopped and really asked? Here's what James says. There's a key here. It's, it, first off, you've got to be praying. But secondly, when you're praying, are you asking? Growing up, and, and my father doesn't always do this. and he's, he's a great man of prayer. But I can remember on multiple occasions in my life, when we, had, we were facing big things as a church or as a family or maybe for, for one of you, uh, seems like maybe once every couple of years I'll hear him make this statement. And it just seems like we will have been praying and we will have been fasting. And then all of a sudden, Dad will come in and he'll be totally calm and totally chill about something we've been stressing out for a long time. We've been stressing out over it. And he's just like totally relaxed. And you're like, Dad, what happened? And he says, no worries. It's all under control. Well, nothing has changed how's under control he say these words to me randon i went to god and i made an official petition before the throne in heaven and i'm confident god's going to move and i can't tell you how many times it wasn't but just a little bit later everything began to change and in my mind i'm thinking why didn't you officially petition god sooner Here's the point. I pray every day. I say, God, give us this day our daily bread, meet our needs. But there are times when you got to go to the throne room and you got to clear it out. And you say, Lord, I'm coming here today to make an official petition. My marriage is on the lines. My, I'm about to lose my kids. I'm about to lose my home. My, my finances are gone. I don't have a job. I need a job. I, I need this, whatever it is. And we petition God. We say, God, I am asking you to move on my behalf. When you're praying, have you asked? Have you petitioned? Or have you just talked a whole lot, complained a whole lot? talked about what other people have and what you don't have. You see, that leads us to the second part. James keeps going uh, as in, our, in, our, in our text here. He says, and even when you ask, verse 3, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Hold on a minute here now, James. Now i got to ask with the right motive, too? Yeah. Yeah. Is the first problem is, you're not praying and you're not asking. And the second thing is, when you ask, you're asking with the wrong motives. You see, the purpose of prayer is not to persuade a reluctant God to do our bidding. It is to align our will with His and in partnership with Him to ask Him to accomplish His will here on earth. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it's already done in heaven. That's before we say, give us this day our daily bread. The first thing we do is we're aligning our will with His, and that is the purpose of prayer. James says, you're asking with the wrong motives. Why is this so important? Because when we ask with the wrong motives, when we go in just demanding of God... To do what we're asking, to do what we're, give us what we're asking for, we are attempting to make God our servant. Remember I told you we had a God problem. This is what James is talking about here. You're trying to make God your servant. God is not a genie in a bottle. You don't rub the lamp, you don't rub the scripture, and God pops out and says, your wish is my command. That's not, what the, that's not the God that we serve but we often think that prayer is that way. I prayed, so God's going to do it. No, no, no. We're praying. We get our will aligned with His. When our wills are aligned, it's like this. God, will you do this? God, I'm asking you for it. And He says, no problem. I was already planning on it anyway. I was just waiting on you to get in alignment with me. Your kid needs something for Christmas. They need something for school. They've been being bad. You, you've had the phone, the calculator, the clothes, the new shoes, the whatever. You've had them bought in the closet for a long time. You are just waiting on them to quit being bad, act right, come to you and say, it isn't about just wanting what I want. I need this because I've outgrown my shoes now, God. I need, I need I mean, Dad, I need some new shoes. My toe's coming out the end. They say, oh, no problem. I've had them all along anyway. Here you go. But what happens with our kids, we have to all guard against it, is they just demand things of us and want things of us. They want the stuff. They want the newest, latest. They don't want it because they need it. They don't want it because it's good for the family. They just want it because the other kid has it. This is God. I've had it all along. I was just waiting on you to align your will with mine, to get your motives right. God is not our servant. He's not, he doesn't just do our bidding for us. Rub the magic, m- magic Bible. Say the perfect prayer. And expect God to go to work. No, no, we get our lives in alignment with His will, and then we come to Him and we ask and watch what He'll do on your behalf. You all right this morning? So, what should we do? Number two, first we, we pray. Number two, we, we can't be friends with the world. We've got to stop trying to be friends with the world. Here's what He says. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. He said, I said it, now I'm going to repeat it to you just so we can be clear. If you want to be a friend of the world, it's not just about if you are a friend, if you even want to be a friend of the world, if there's a desire in your heart to be on the other side, God's saying, then you already are on the other side. This is consistent with the word of God. This is consistent with the message of Jesus that said, I'm not just looking at the action. I'm just I'm looking at the heart. Verse five, what do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? I love this right here. He starts with these words, you adulterers. Uh, go back to verse 4 for me. He starts with the word, you adulterers. Now, somewhere along the way, a scribe actually changed this. Our, our early manuscripts do not say it just like this. They actually say, you adulteresses, the female version here. All right? Now, the scribes changed it because um, to... to to call, for instance, a man and a woman in their culture was a very offensive thing. Um, I don't know if you grew up like me, but you, you're out in the, in the schoolyard or you're out in the backyard and you're playing and there's a bunch of boys hanging around and somebody gets hurt and they say, quit acting like a girl. All right? I know it's not politically correct, but okay, I mean, the, you know, I was, I was six once. Okay, I mean, and and so you say quit. Act, well, it's it's the same kind of deal, but only magnified because of the culture they lived in. So they changed it to say adulterers, which is the masculine version. But the, but it was actually written here in our early manuscripts as you adulteresses, uh, you adulteresses. I can't speak with all these s's today. Here's here's why. This is actually an Old Testament rebuke that James pulls out. He pulls out an Old Testament rebuke, and every time this rebuke is used. It is used because the children of Israel are now falling into idolatry. They have stopped serving God and started chasing idols. So anytime you read in Scripture when a prophet or, or God says, you adulterers and adulteresses, that's what he's referring to. You've left me. Why the female version? Because the church is the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ, right? So it's the female version. It's not trying to be uh, anything except saying, look, this is the female. You're, this, we're the bride of Christ. We're the wife of Christ. And so you have been unfaithful in that you are chasing idols. Now, what is the idolatry that he's referring to here? He is referring to coveting. Covet. Wanting what others have. Wanting things that they have and doing what it takes to get it. This is idolatry. Look what um, the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. He said, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and here's that word, covetous. I can't even say it. I even practiced Covetousness. Did I get it? Covetousness. Covetousness. Here it is. Which is idolatry? To covet is not just breaking the law of God. It is idolatry. And so this is what James is saying. He's saying, you adulterers, you adulteresses, because you have started chasing the idol of wanting what other people have of doing whatever it takes to get what they have because you don't have it and you want it. You're jealous, you're envious. It's it's chasing that and doing whatever it takes to get it. He said, it's idolatry. And you have left me in search of chasing what others have. Why is it idolatry? Here's why. The, The flesh says, if I could have, for instance, the house... That Pastor Dino and Lisa have. If I could get what they had. I deserve it. They've got it. Why them and not me? I deserve it. I deserve it more than them. Don't you agree? No? Pastor Lisa's like, uh, no. <laughs> this is hypothetical. Hang with me. Here. so, I say if I can get their house because I deserve it and I want it and and the promises of God are on my life and so I want it so I go out and I attain it. I do whatever it takes to get maybe not their specific house but the house just like theirs or a little bit better because I've got to one up them. But the idea is that once I get it it will satisfy my unsatisfied heart. The problem is Attaining the things that my flesh says it wants will not satisfy my heart. The only thing that can satisfy it is God. So here's why it's idolatry. If I am, if if my heart is unsatisfied, my life is unfulfilled, so I chase something to fill the void rather than my creator to fill the void. It's idolatry. It doesn't have to just be a house. What if it's a position? I wanted to be the youth pastor. I wanted to be the children's pastor. I wanted to be the nursery director. I I wanted to be the campus pastor. I I wanted to be this. I wanted to be that. I'm chasing. Now, if I could get their position, if I could get their title, if I could get their place, if I could get their seat, then somehow it would satisfy things in me. But here's the problem. Getting the position, getting the, the ranking, getting the title will never satisfy the unsatisfied heart. Because the only thing that can satisfy our hearts is our relationship with God. So Paul says, coveting, it's idolatry. James says, you adulterers. Now, this, this is a tone change for James here. He, he was talking about being friends with the world but, but this and, and enemies with God. But this is a tone change because um, he's talking about killing and, and, and strife and anger. But now he's reflecting the heart of God. And God is saying to us, I've been faithful to you. But you haven't been faithful to me. And yet you're demanding things of me. If you ever walked through a situation in a marriage where one party has been faithful and the other has not, notice what he says here in verse 5. What do you think the Scriptures mean when they say that the Spirit of God has placed, has placed within us that God has placed within us is filled with envy. He's talking about this. He's saying, I'm passionate for you. In my marriage, I am passionate about being faithful to my wife. My wife is passionate about being faithful to me. We care a lot about it. We work really hard on it. Because there is an enemy at work in the world. And there are people at work in the world that will continually try to make its way into our marriage and pull my eye and pull the lust of my eye away from my wife and onto something else. But if that happens, now my wife is trying to reckon with this, this issue that I was faithful to him and he wasn't faithful to me. It's one of the most heartbreaking things to have to deal with. And yet, this is what what James is saying. Every time we chase this idol, wanting what we don't have, jealous of what other people's have, envious. You're breaking the heart of God. And James is crying out to us, saying, just be faithful. God will satisfy you. He'll take care of your needs. He'll give you whatever you ask for. But be faithful to Him. Don't go take it from someone else. Don't go scheme and connive and kill. But be faithful to God. Can I get an amen this morning? don't be friends with the world. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. It's the world's systems. It's wanting the world to love you, wanting the world to celebrate you, wanting the world to esteem you, want to be great by the same system that makes your neighbors great. Which kingdom do you live in? Do you live in the kingdom of God? Or do you live in the kingdom of the world? If you live in the kingdom of God, we gotta live according to the laws and the, and, the, and the ways of the kingdom of God. We can also expect the rewards of living under our conquering king. But if we live under the system of the world, we have to expect the things of this world, the problems of this world, the issues of this world. We can't live in both. Jesus said it like this. You cannot serve two gods. You cannot serve God and mammon, for you will love the one and despise the other. Or you will hate the one and, and love the other. But you can't do both. You can't love the world system and love God. You have to choose. And there are only two sides. There's only two sides. There's God's side and the other side. Which side are you choosing? The world defies God's will and despises his purpose. It is an implicit challenge to God. Saying, I am making myself God and I am removing you. I am making myself Lord and I am removing you. The third thing we have to do is we have to get on God's side. James 4, verse 6 through 9. Here's what we do. He gives even more grace to stand against such evil desires. Here's what I love about God. If you didn't have enough grace, he gives even more grace. If you, didn't, if you weren't sure if you were going to make it through, all you've got to do is ask. He's going to give even more grace. He gives generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble or gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Here's what we do very quickly. Number one, God gives grace generously. Just ask for it. He's doing all he can. He's not greedy with the grace. It's a free gift. Just ask for it. Yes, he convicts us. Yes, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes in, he convicts us of the wrong that's deep in our heart. But he gives grace freely. Aren't you glad about that? Number two, humble yourself. You see, grace and pride are enemies. And God resists the proud, meaning he stands against the proud in battle array. There's only two sides to this battle. God and grace are on one side, humility on one side, but the world and pride are on the other side. And when we stand in pride, we are going to war against God. I don't recommend you going to war against the God that created the heavens and the earth. He created you. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. If he wanted to, he could take you out. But the thing about God is he doesn't want to. He's begging you to come over to his side. Number three, um, submit to God. Submit to God. We can be humble, but still not submit. Submit. You see, humility and submission are two separate things. We can be humble and yet turn and go live according to the ways of the world again. We can come into the house of God. We can humble ourselves before the Lord, but then pick up and leave and go do it our way again. Submission is about choosing to come under the flag, come under the rule, come under the authority of our conquering king. So we come in and we bow before the king with our lives and we say, Jesus, my life is laid down before you and and, and you're my God and you're my king, but submission is about making you Lord. submission is about saying now, God, you rule in my life. You choose where I go. You choose what I do. You choose what I say. I'm not just doing it because of me. Lord, if you want me to have it, you'll, you'll, you'll help me. But if you don't shut the door and close the door, I only want that which is of you. Number four, after we submit to God, we have the power to resist the devil. Not before we submit to God. After we submit to God, we have the power to resist the devil. You say, well, um, I, I was always, uh, or not always, but I've, I've heard people say to me that, oh, the devil is like the, 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 you know, the, the snake on the ground. It's more afraid of you than you are of it. That's not necessarily true. The devil isn't that afraid of you. What the devil is afraid of is what happened on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross and went to the grave, he defeated the enemy. And when he came up out of the ground, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives on the inside of you. And it isn't you. It's the fact that you are covered by the grace and the power and the authority of God. So we can resist the devil. We can stand against the devil. We can push him back and send him running. But if you're trying to do it without submission to God, you're probably not going to succeed. The devil is wily, he schemes, he's strong, he's been around a long time. He's confused a lot of good men and women. Don't try to defeat the enemy without being under the authority of God. When we're under the authority of God, he gives us the power to defeat our enemy. Then we can say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Here's what I love about God in this word is because it's very realistic. God, when Jesus went down, he defeated the devil in the grave, but he didn't kill the devil in the grave. What does that mean? We resist the devil and he flees, but we don't necessarily kill him because if you live for God a little while, you know he's gonna figure out another way to come back at you, right? What do we do? We resist him again. We make sure our lives stay submitted to God so that no matter which angle he comes from, nope, I resist the devil. You've got to go. Oh, you're going to try me over here today? I resist the devil. You've got to go. Oh, oh, my kid's got a bad attitude today? I resist the devil. You've got to flee from me. Oh, my, my boss is, is lying about me and trying to get me fired. Oh, I resist the devil. You've got to flee from me today. Oh, oh the, the, the the enemy's trying to come up with hatred and bitterness and anger in my heart. I resist the devil. You have to flee from me today. Do you, this is an everyday thing. The devil's not going to stop coming at you. God didn't say, James didn't say, he's going, you're going to kill the devil. He said, you will resist and he'll flee. When he comes back, resist him again. All right. Number five. I love this one. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. This is a wonderful, it's an invitation and a promise from God. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Draw near to God. We're getting our heart right. We're submitted to him. But God doesn't. God's not just about power and authority and conquering devils and, 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 and conquering the world. That's not what God's all about. God's really about relationship with you. And with Moses in the burning bush, Moses came close and he said, OK, Moses, that's 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 close enough. But in this invitation under the New Testament covenant, God saying, no, 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 just keep coming closer. Just keep on keep drawing near to me and I'll keep drawing near to you. There's no point where he says, OK, stop. That's that's too close. No, no. God just says, keep on coming closer. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And then number six is Repent. Number six is repent. We, 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 he says, wash your hands, purify, 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 uh, purify our hearts, shed some tears, be sad. What's he talking about? He's talking about the posture of repentance. You ever had somebody do you wrong and y'all got into a big argument? They finally decided to admit they were wrong and their apology was like this. Fine then, I'm sorry. What do you think? Like, no, that's not an apology. (laughs) Ladies, when your husband apologizes, like, no, that is not an apology. I want flowers and I want cake and I want a date night and I want you to be really sad. I need to hear it in your voice. Pump the brakes a little bit. Pump the brakes. I'm sorry. What are we really? We want to feel it in the tone. We want something to change in our actions. That's what true repentance is. This is, this is again a kickback to the old prophets uh, of the Old Testament where, he, where we would come and, and, and David ripped off his clothing and cried out before God and rolled around on the ground. I'm not saying today that you came to sin in your life. You need to rip off your clothes and come running to the altar. In fact, please don't do such things. But what I am saying is this. There is a posture of repentance Father I'm sorry maybe I meant to make myself God and maybe I didn't maybe I knew I had a God problem and maybe I didn't whatever the case is my heart is repentant before you I'm saddened not because you don't love me because I'm saddened that now I realize how much I've broken your heart when I left you and chased after these idols. I didn't know I was chasing idols, God. So forgive me. It's the posture, it's the tone of repentance. And when we come to God in that way, here's the last verse, verse 10. Here's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't leave us down, but he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. When we come into the house of God, we read the word of God. It has a way of convicting us and exposing things in us. But I don't ever want to leave you down with no hope. Because that's not what God's Word does to us. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, He lifts us up in honor. Somehow, when we lift up His name and submit our lives to Him, He looks back at us and says, now let me lift you up too. If you came in the room and you're down and you're pressed and you're worried and you're stressed out and you're anxious, humble yourself before the Lord today. Come to Him Grace always has a way of lifting us up. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to ask that deep within all of us, and this is a question that I've been asking of God all week, expose what's going on in my heart. If there are hidden places, if there is jealousy, if there is envy, if I am coveting things, if I'm wanting what others have and I don't have, Lord, I'm asking you to expose it right now. And Lord, when I come to you in prayer, as as we do so often, Lord, may I come with the right motives. Father, I pray today for every person in this room, every person watching online. Lord, I pray that you would reveal what is in our hearts. Lord, you don't have to reveal it to the whole world, but... Reveal it to us. Reveal it to ourselves. Holy Spirit, do your work. Convict us of wrong motives. Convict us of places that we have chased after idols and we didn't mean to. We've broken your heart, God. Lord, we come to you today with the tone and the posture of repentance and say, forgive us. And Lord, I speak over your people today. That as we align our will with your will. We don't come to you like you're a genie and in, in, in demanding uh, wishes from you. But God, we say, Lord, let your will be done in our lives. Lord, I am declaring that as we come to you and we ask of you, you're going to move in our lives. You're going to open doors. You're going to make things happen. You're going to do miracles in our health, in marriages, in families, in friendships, in churches. Lord God, you're going to do great and wonderful things. Lord, for those of us that have sin in our heart, Forgive us today. Now, Lord, I declare right now that you are lifting us up through your presence, through your grace. You are lifting us up right now. Lord, I speak to people who are down and depressed and worried, and I I lift them up, Lord, not with my words, but with the power of grace that is here today. Lift your people up. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. amen.